and welcome to Talking Dirty at the Library, where we'll talk about what's growing here in Athens and Limestone County, Alabama. Each podcast features master gardener experts discussing ways we can cultivate better gardens and better lifestyles through local gardening and Limestone County Extension programs. Hi everyone, this is Carol Wood and Jay Shaw and we're talking dirty at the library today. Jay? Well, we're, uh, we're both master gardeners, been uh, master gardeners for about three or four years. And uh, today, I think what we're going to start with is the Alabama Gardener's Calendar for October. That's correct. And so I know uh, when we all get to October, we are feeling like we are through in the garden. So what <clears throat> we want to do today is just mention a few tips about what you should be doing in October, because really, gardening never ends. So um, I know one thing that uh, most of us do as we harvest our vegetable gardens is that we want to make sure that those garden spaces are clear. And so you can compost your garden material. And the other thing I think that's tricky here in uh, North Alabama is knowing when the first frost will be. Because there are things that you will need to remove from your soil, particularly like um Help me out here, Jay. The well, one thing would be compost. Uh, I recently wrote uh, an article for a newsletter on what to do with your uh, garden soil uh, in the winter time, and uh, do insects overwinter in Alabama where it freezes. And the fact is, we don't get a hard enough freeze long enough to kill any of our insects in Alabama, North Alabama. And most insects look at our gardens and see all of that compost that we leave laying around, and it's like a hotel for them. They congregate underneath of it, and they stay warm, and on the warm days, they came back out. And that includes harlequin bugs. It includes all kinds of caterpillars, uh, even fleas over winter in Alabama. They don't die. So uh, that's one uh, issue that you want to consider. You can put the compost back down in the spring, and uh, I typically uh, compost and uh, mulch with uh, pine straw. I prefer it over straw. Uh, Lately, last two years, when I mulched with straw in in the spring, I got a straw field all kinds of seeds in it growing. And then I had that problem. So I've gone to using nothing but pine straw, and it does add color to your landscaping in the wintertime. It's got that rust red color, and it stays there all winter long. And it's a little acidic, so it'll help with your limestone soil base, which tends to be need a little bit more acid than a lot of soil. Mm -hmm. So that's another good plus for using any kind of pine product as mulch. Well, and that brings up a very good note with the uh, nutrients. Um, In the fall, you should always get a soil sample done and send it into Auburn and have them test your soil and give you back a printed report. And I think the cost of that is $7 or something like that. I believe it's $7. I know you're all wanting to know where you get those soil test kits, and there are a couple different places. You can come to the library in Athens, Alabama, and... Pick one up at the Ask a Master Gardener table, or you can visit the Extension office, uh, which is on Market Street. And on Thursdays, uh, you can come to the Limestone County Master Gardener's Greenhouse, which is behind the Athens Middle School. 
and there could be soil sample kits there. And uh, you might be surprised when you go to choose your fertilizer um, that you may not need as many nutrients as you think because this will really tell you um, what the pH is of your lawn and uh, most of us in this county have a lot of phosphorus in the ground so we may not be adding that as nutrient into our soil. So getting back to October, this uh, soil test is really important in your lawn because that will tell you uh, what nutrients you need to feed it and particularly if you have fescue, uh, fall is the time to plant and overseed fescue and also fertilize it. Mm -hmm. So that's one of your chores for October because we not only think of our shrubs and perennials and annuals, but uh, you also want to think about the care of your lawn. Sure. All of the preps that you take now uh, will pay off in the spring uh, in great dividends. Do you have any other things for October, like fruits and nuts and anything we should be looking at doing? Mainly uh, just cleaning up your orchard area, so you may remove any limbs, old fruit, debris from your, the floor of the orchard, and um, you can start thinking about, I know in South Alabama, strawberries get planted in the fall, so that might be a little bit earlier than October. And here, October's really sort of difficult to gauge because two Octobers ago, in the middle of October, it was still upper 90s, close mm-hmm. to 100 degrees. And so you want to look for a rainy spell or a cool spell, particularly if you're going to overseed your lawn, to sort of gauge when the temperature should be right. And for fescue, that's somewhere uh, where the air needs to be somewhere between 50 and 65 degrees. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that might not be until November, but so try to keep an eye on that. There's plenty of that information on the Master Gardener website or from your extension agent if you have more questions about that. Uh, by October, you should pretty well have your fall garden in place. And uh, I typically will start my fall garden in uh, late uh, August, early September. And uh, last year, I didn't have good luck in the spring with uh, green beans, so I waited and planted them in my fall garden. And I counted back from from about the last week in uh, November, thinking that's when the first uh, hard freeze we're going to get. And I counted back about 89, 90 days, and I put them in, and I was really pleased. One, I didn't have the insects in the fall that I have in the summer, and so I very rarely had to spray it with any kind of insect control. Uh, When uh, weather stations uh, said we were going to have a hard freeze the previous afternoon, I sat down with a little bucket, and I pulled all of my bean plants and uh, I got a better harvest then than I've ever got in a spring garden. I think I canned uh, 15 quarts of uh, green beans. So uh, I will do my green beans again in the fall. But some other things that you can do is you can grow cabbage year-round. I had mm-hmm. cabbage in from November uh, until I cut it in late March. Uh, you can have your greens, your kale, and your uh, Georgia uh, mustard greens. You can have them in the ground. Um Beets will do well. Uh, I put carrots in in uh, August, and I didn't pull them until February. So uh, when we talk about a hard freeze in Alabama, we're talking about a hard freeze for plants above the ground. The ground really doesn't uh, freeze hardly at all. So uh, anything that's a root crop will do pretty well in Alabama in the wintertime. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, November. 
planting uh, trees and fruit trees and nut trees. November, you should be selecting your sites for your planting. Uh, you should be mulching your strawberries, blackberries, and grapes. Uh, those trees and any shrubs that you think you would like to have in your landscape. We're talking about an orchard, orchard, and we're also talking about your curb appeal. So you uh, plant your trees and your shrubs and your vines in November. Uh, as the fall rains returns, and we get a lot of rain here in the fall and the spring, uh, you want to watch your grasses for fungal, especially fescue, mm-hmm. for fungal diseases. That's right, and uh, th- that's the other thing. I can never remember when in the year I'm supposed to do this, but if you will put your pre-emergence down, mm-hmm. you can uh, rid your yard of broadleaves that are going to pop up in earliest, late January, February. Here yeah, in absolutely. So that's the time to apply that product as well. So uh, the other thing that I think people get really excited in terms of planting new materials in their garden in the fall would be all of the bulbs. And so uh, we're talking about tulips, hyacinths, daffodils, crocus, Dutch iris, and on. So that's the time to get those in the ground. Um, There are some plants that really need a freeze on them to help them get going in the springtime. So uh, it does help to put those in the ground uh, once it starts to cool off in October, November, mm-hmm. get them going. And I know we usually don't think about uh, annuals to be planted, uh, but if you need a little color, because Alabama can be a little bit drab here in the wintertime, uh, there are some hardy annuals that uh, you can use to give your flower beds a little bit of color. So you have the ornamental kales, uh, you also have snapdragons that will pretty much winter over. Most of you might have pansies that you take through the winter time. Uh, another pretty plant that's, that's also edible, but it's actually a green and comes in different colors. There's a rainbow variety and it's a nice leafy green that you can add just into your flower garden uh, to give yourself a little color. And I'll come back and remember the name of that when I stop thinking about it. Well, you've got the ornamental cabbage. Yes. And you've got Swiss chard. That's it. Rainbow-colored Swiss chard. Rainbow Swiss chard. Thank you, Jay, for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh, It's a a time now to put roses into the ground. And I'd like to branch off just a little bit, and we'll come back to some more uh, hints for the fall. But uh, roses, I want to talk about the um, knockout rose. Now, the uh, knockout rose uh, shouldn't be pruned until the spring. Uh, Many of the other roses, like American roses and those varieties, you prune in the fall. The knockout rose is done in the spring. I typically prune them about two weeks before the the, the last frost. And our last frost is generally about mid-April. And so uh, the last week in March, first week in April, I will prune. Now... um, Determine the height of your uh, knockout rose and prune down one-third of the height. So if your knockout rose is six feet tall, you would want to take the top two feet off. And then get down in your hands and knees and prune any dead canes out from uh, the knockout rose right down to the ground. Now the knockout rose will provide new growth immediately and uh, uh, within about uh, three to four weeks you should have blossoms. That's all it takes. 
So in the event that uh, somewhere along in the spring you have a major event at your house, like a wedding reception or something, and you want your landscape to look really good, and you have knockout roses, count back three weeks, prune them really good, and they, you should have new blossoms on there for the event. Um, in terms of deadheading uh, knockout roses, isn't really necessary. But when you do, you count back, you look down the stem from the, uh, from the end of the, the deadhead on it, you count back and you look for the, the petal that has uh, five leaves on it. And you prune about a quarter of an inch or half an inch above that, that five leaf. That's where your new growth is going to come from. Uh, another thing with knockout roses, as with all roses, is you should develop a regular scheduled calendar for spraying for insects and diseases and for fertilization. Now, I do mine every other Saturday, unless I'm traveling and a few days isn't going to make that much difference. But it, it, what you want to be regular. You don't want to do it you know, every three days and not do it for a month. It's not healthy for the plant. Uh, and when you deadhead and when you prune anything, always pick up the debris. It's a good harbor for disease and fungus and so forth, and we try to keep that away from our plants. Thank you, Jay. And so um, really as we sort of move through the fall months of October and November, uh, most of the activities are the same, getting your fertilizer down, cleaning up your garden beds, especially after that first frost when they've been knocked over to the ground, uh, remembering to get your caladiums out of the ground before the freeze. I've lost so many caladiums, can't tell you how many, because once a freeze hits them, they just disappear. So having some way to mark those might be a good idea. And then getting your uh, cold season vegetables in the ground. Um, most of the transplanted vegetables can still be planted at this point. So it will give you a lot of activity and nice to have greens in the wintertime. Uh, one of the things that uh, came to my attention, somebody asked me the other day, was what do I do with a crepe myrtle that looks like it's a trunk with a fist on top of it? And that's typically called crepe myrtle murder, or uh, I've always referred to it as top hatting. And uh, it looks like a nice clean trunk coming up, and then on the top of it there's a closed fist. And one of the things that you would want to do with this in the spring is uh, cut it off, cut the fist off just below where, the, where your wrist might be. Just make a nice clean cut across it. Cut them all. And uh, two to three weeks later, you'll have six or seven new sprouts come out. You want to select the best two to three. Uh, in three years, they will turn out to be as big around as the main trunk. In terms of pruning a crepe myrtle, uh, at the end of the year, you might have some dead spikes sticking out at the top. You want to cut them off. Uh, any dead branches you want to cut out. Uh, branches that cross, pick the strongest one, keep it, and cut the weakest uh, uh, crossing off. Everybody has sprouts at the base of their crepe myrtles, and it requires regular pruning. And if you want more than one uh, trunk, Leave one or two of them to grow and cut the rest of them off and concentrate on that one. And I refer to them as suckers, like on tomatoes. And you want to keep the uh, bottom five feet 
of the trunk clear of all of these branches that are growing sideways out of the trunk, except for the two that you want to keep at the very base. Um, Carol, would you... Yeah, I know there's been some questions from some of our listeners about how to choose perennials for their garden. I think most of us as master gardeners, when we are choosing material for our landscape, we try to choose items that are going to provide certain color at different times of the year so that you don't just have one big hurrah in June or July. You have something that's blooming pretty much through uh, all of the blooming months. So one strategy uh, is if you choose perennials, the nice thing about them is most of them do come back the next year. If you have to do anything, uh, you may be lucky enough to have to divide them and move them around some. Uh, depending on the amount of light that you have, uh, the light will dictate what plant will thrive there. And there could be other places in your yard where it might be a little damper or drier, and that might also dictate uh, the type of plant material that you choose to put there. So one thing that I think is helpful is for you to look around in your yard to notice how much shade you have Personally, in my yard, I have a lot of shade, so I've, I've had to adjust from moving back to Alabama from having all sun to having no sun, which has been quite an adjustment. <laughs> so choices like uh, hosta, and there's 50 varieties of hosta. Um, ferns, I sort of live in the woodlands kind of place or location. So I also like to choose native plants because I think they tend to do better and if you just look around what's growing uh, on the hillsides near where you live, uh, you can sort of see how some of those native plants have adapted to your location. Um, a lot of shade plants tend to be green or have some white in them. So a caladium is a good example to get a pop of color pretty much from June until the first freeze. That will give you some color. Uh, rose campion will grow in the shade. It's a wonderful plant that's sort of a dusty green with a bright sort of purplish red flower on it. One of my favorite plants and it holds its bloom for a long time. So we want to try to think about your pollinators that you've got bees all the way up till frost and uh, you want to provide plants in your garden that they can actually get a meal on. Um, another favorite of mine are all the black-eyed Susans, if you have a little bit of sun, um, echinacea, purple coneflowers, white coneflowers, orange coneflowers. All of those will work in sunny locations. So when you get ready to start thinking about perennial-wise what you're going to do, I will plug that we are at our greenhouse on Thursdays, and there are very knowledgeable people in there can help you make plant selections about what you could be putting in your garden. That will return each year and actually expand. So the problem comes not on having any plants, but having maybe too many. Um, and one other thing, and, and uh, Carol touched on it there, was we're not only interested in curb appeal in the spring and the summer and the fall, but in the winter. And so a lot of the plants that I particularly use, I grow for the foliage. And she had mentioned a caladium, lots of different colors with white uh, areas, uh, uh, splotches in them and green leaves Red. and reds and oranges and, and different configurations. But I'm particularly fond of like the Japanese maple. It's got a very interesting leaf 
Uh, it comes out and it's a, a, a kind of a reddish color. I like the Rose of Sharon. It's a very shapely tree and hundreds of blossoms on it right now. And the pollinators are And the hummingbirds all... love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I have a smoke bush that's beautiful. Yeah. It's a dark red. Yeah. I put dark in, red. I put in Solomon Seal last year. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting plant, but it needs to be in the shade. Hosta is another one. You'll get that one spike of flower coming up, but the most of the season, it's just a variety of greens from a lime green to a dark green mm-hmm. and different shape leaves and so forth. Um, you can select dwarf evergreens. And, and uh, I just recently had read an article as they should be included in your winter landscape. You don't need many. I have two. Uh, I bought them from a big box store here in town. They were a foot and a half when I, tall when I got them. They're perfectly shaped like a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. They got fine little needles on them. Uh, here, ten years later, they're four feet tall. Just a good specimen for a front yard. And the other thing I should say too is, is in the fall. Uh, for me, I start dealing with leaves in August. The tulip poplar starts to drop leaves, mm-hmm. and so what I've been doing uh, because I'm trying to enrich my soil is moving most of my leaf material into my beds. Mm-hmm. And then I run the lawnmower through it and chop it up. And so you can build a nice space between your beds and your fescue lawn or Bermuda lawn or zoysia lawn or whatever you have. But you can actually sculpt that with live sort of live edges. And one thing that I've learned over the years in terms of trying to make something that's visually appealing, particularly in my yard, is that if you can have a shape for a garden landscape that is not straight and on right angles because most things in nature are curved. Mm -hmm. So you can lay out these curvy little spaces. I have all live edges in in my yard, which means I don't have any anything that holds the mulch in. I actually use a spade to make my separation between the garden bed and the yard. And it can look really pretty cool. Yeah. And so you don't need bricks and you don't need pavers and you don't need those kinds of things but you can get a really natural looking landscape that will pop whatever the season is which is particularly why i like fescue because it stays green all year so those just some tips when you start thinking about uh, how your lawn should look and i think too many times contractors like to build sidewalks in squares and in straight lines. Straight lines, that's what they do. Which yeah. uh, is sometimes hard to get around uh, in terms of what you might want to do even from a design point. Sure. So whatever you can do in your yard to make it feel right for you and to look visually appealing, is uh, there's really no right or wrong answers. It's a texture thing. It's a color thing. It's what makes you happy. Uh, and what you get pleasure from looking at is really what matters about gardening. Um, I just want to kind of end this with, we've enjoyed this very much, uh, talking dirty at the library session. Uh, don't forget us at our greenhouse behind the middle school. It's a large greenhouse. We've just completely renovated uh, all of the glass panels in it. But we're going to have raised bed uh, demonstrations out there. We're going to have compost demonstrations out there. There's some beautiful wildflowers out there on the outside spaces. That's something that you can think about preparing the bed for in the fall as well as if you want to have, uh, you've got the sunshine for the wildflowers. 
And we're just not all flowers. The Master Gardeners of one of the local food banks uh, recently stated that they had gotten 30,000 pounds of garden uh, food donations uh, locally, and that 70% of that, or 21,000 pounds of it, came from the Master Gardeners. So uh, we're into a lot of projects that support landscaping and so forth. And uh, around the library here, we did a lot of the landscaping right. here. So uh, Master Gardeners are involved with a lot of things, and we'd love to hear from you. And Janet Hunt is always looking for scholars to uh, send to Master Gardener School. That's right. And so Master Gardener School is uh, one in the fall and one in the spring. It's a 14-week program through the ACES. It's a very good course. costs a little bit of money. We do sponsor some folks, uh, so don't let money be a deterrent. And we'd love to grow our Master Garden program in Limestone County. Absolutely. So thanks for listening today. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you've got questions, you can find us at the Ask a Master Gardener table at the library and Thursdays at the Athens Limestone County Greenhouse behind Athens Middle School. And we have a Facebook page and a web page. So you can just Google us and we'll pop up. We're happy to help you with your gardens, answer your questions, and so on. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Talking Dirty at the Library, a podcast produced by the Athens Limestone County Public Library in cooperation with the Limestone County Extension Office and Master Gardener Program. Join us next time to see where we're growing. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the Athens Limestone County Library website at alcpl.org. Library Voices is also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.